Welcome to Tea, Toast, and Trivia. Thank you for listening in. Living in the reality of COVID-19, travel has been curtailed, internationally as well as domestically. While travel is coming back slowly, there are places that I will never visit in my lifetime. Over the past months, I have found that travel is possible through the alchemy of technology. Welcome to Tea, Toast, and Trivia, The Virtual Journey, which will explore new horizons through the eyes of a friend. As Marcel Prost reminds me, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. I am thrilled that Egland has invited us to travel with him to the Ore Mountain. What is it called in Germany? Erzgebirge. I understand that there may be some time travel involved back to the Bronze Age. Egland is an engineer and publicist. He worked as a science journalist and reporter in Africa for several German newspapers. Since 2005, his focus has been on the environmental initiatives. As a specialist journalist for renewable energies, he works within media related to ecological energy transition. First of all, about solar energy. Time to put the kettle on and join the conversation on Tea, Toast, and Trivia. I am your host, Rebecca Budd, and I am looking forward to sharing this adventure with you. Welcome, Egland. I have been looking forward to meeting up with you and traveling to, you say it for me. Erzgebirge. It sounds so much better when you say it. It's a difficult word in German too. So Erzgebirge. Oh, that's very kind of you. I will practice it still because it's a lovely name. It is. And it's a very old name coming up from the 13th century. Well, when we think of the Ore Mountain, we think of all the legends, the stories, the mysteries that come out of mountains, because mountains always hold secrets, the secrets of the earth. Exactly. And all the fairy tales are coming from it. Many of the myths are coming from ancient time, from mining, washing metals from the creeks and something like that. That's the beginning of all work. You always see in movies someone in the fire putting some metal in and bringing out something that is very special. There's always music that flows from these, and you say, there's magic in those metals. There always was magic in it, and it's part of the history of the Erzgebirge, too. It's a magic place, actually. Well, where is it located? How far is it from where you are in Berlin? Would we travel there by train, by car? It's not so far from Berlin. If you go straight south, it's two hours by a train to the city of Dresden, which is famous for arts and monuments. West of Dresden, about 30 kilometers, is a small city named Freiberg. And Freiberg is a gate to the Erzgebirge. It was the first mining town in this area. It is easy to reach by train, but it's better to go there by car because the Erzgebirge has very steep hills going up to 1,000 or 1,200 meters and very narrow valleys. By car, it's easier to cross the border, the green open border to the Czech side. 
in a historic way too. So everybody wanted to be part of those mountains. In history, it's two parts of it. It's the northern part, it's the German side, or actually it was not Germany, it was Saxony, a part of today Germany. The southern side is Bohemia. Bohemia is a very old name coming from the Roman historian Tacitus. When he wrote his famous report about the Germanic tribes, Germania, that some tribe, the Boyers, lived there. And he called it the area of the Boyers, Bohemia. There's a little story behind it because he used this word Bohemian still today because Tacitus said that the Boyers were very free-minded people and a kind of lazy. They didn't want to work very hard. To him, as somebody from Rome, they were a little bit like life artists. And in this way, we use the word Bohemian up to our days. That's interesting. It's 2,000 years old. Well, we always think of Bohemian as art and a free spirit and a place you want to belong to because they always have fun and they seem to enjoy life. Exactly. If you cross the mountains to the Czech side today, then you're leaving actually the Germanic land. And you're going to an area which used to be the frontier line between the Romans and some Germanic tribes. But they were influenced by the Romans. Further north, behind the mountains to the northern part of Saxony, they were not involved in any contact to the Romans. Because in this time, up to the 10th century, the whole mountains in this area were covered by the so-called Mirikidi. Mirikidi is a legendary name for a very dark, very ancient forest, which was impossible to penetrate. Just thousand years ago, they started to settle there and to build first villages and to try to find a living there. Concerning German history, it's a very young place. They found some relics from the Bronze Age and from the Iron Age, but it was sporadic. Because the merchant route from the Baltic Sea to the south to, let's say, Vienna and further on to Rome, over Dresden and Prague along the river Elbe, which is called the Labe on the Czech side. It's not belonging to the Erzgebirge. When we say Teutonic, what does Teutonic mean? It's a connection between the Germanic past, coming from a time when we talked about tribes. It's the bridge to modern history, which is made of states, which is made of economy. We don't talk about Germanic tribes today. We're talking about Germany. There was a famous Teutonic order of knights, but they didn't play a role in the Erzgebirge. They played their historic role further north. The name stuck, and it influenced by it, because Saxony always used to be the counterpart to Austria, to Prussia. It was always linked with a German history, Austrian history, and European history. Even Saxony has roots in, in England. Of course. Angles and the Saxons, they came to England. I think it was the first invasion, and later on came the Normans. What's interesting about location and about mountains and about terrain is that they have seen history of humankind. They are a witness to our stories. And that's why I wanted so much to go to the Ore Mountain. In a way, it is timeless because mining 
going into the Erzgebirge to dig for metals. It's the beginning of all industrialization. Without tin, silver, iron, you cannot build an efficient plough to toil the land. You cannot build machines. All our welfare is coming from mining at the beginning of history. This is the same time when we see the First Nations and the First States coming up. Now, when they started to settle in the Erzgebirge, it was the high season of the Vikings. It was the time when Leif Erikson put his first step on the Canadian coast. And it was the time of William the Conqueror in England. And actually, it's not that long time. Maybe it's uh, 30, 40 generations. But you can still see it in the Erzgebirge because all the old mines are still there. And that is very impressive. Do you actually go down in those mines? Some are open to visitors. You can go there in old silver mines and lead mines and iron mines. In the 20th century, there was uranium mining in the Erzgebirge. That's all closed because of the radioactivity. And I can tell something about later. But the traditional mining, it's open. It's part of the culture today. Because all the people there, they have their celebrations in uniforms coming from the mining age and something like that. And even the carved figures carving from wood, they are coming from this time. That brings up the question of the nutcracker. Because I read that folk art is huge in this area. And the most famous of the wooden figures is the nutcracker. So when we enjoy the nutcracker suite in Christmas, we are going back to the Orem Mountain, aren't we? Yeah, it's the same like the cuckoo clock coming from the Schwarzwald, the Black Forest in southwest Germany, and the Erzgebirge is in southeast Germany. I have one of the nutcrackers in my office, a big one from my mother, and it's about 60 centimeters high. It's a really solid piece of wood in this red miner's uniform. It's part of their culture, and it is very interesting to see what fine art of carving they developed over the centuries, because the miners were not well paid in this time. It was a hard job, and they didn't get so much money. And they had to work in their spare time to get additional living, maybe in wintertime too, because the Eskiburg is the coldest place in Germany, apart from the Alps. It is a hard time, and they had a lot of time spent at home. And then he carved the figures and tried to sell them to the markets. That's why it's an old traditional craft, especially from this area. And today, it's really a big business because they export the nutcrackers all over the world. And I was told when I was there that most of these crackers will be sold to the United States and Japan. They're very keen for it. Many miners from Bohemia and from Saxony, later after the devastation by the Thirty Years' War, went overseas to America. They worked in the Rust Belt. The city of Pittsburgh was very much found by Saxon miners, for instance. Others went to Russia. Tsar Peter I called for Saxon miners. When was the Thirty Years' War? The Thirty Years' War started in 1618. So 1618, they moved to America that early? No, not that early, but after the war, because the whole country was completely devastated and all the mines were closed. The second influence was that 
from the Portuguese and the Spanish colonies in the New World, a stream of gold and silver came into Europe and the prices dropped dramatically. It was not economic to sustain the mining areas. Many people had to go somewhere else at the end of the 17th century, in both directions, to, to the New World and to Russia too. But they brought with them their knowledge and their experience. We always believe that we live in a global world, but we've always been a global world, haven't we? Exactly. This is what you can learn if you travel in the Erzgebirge and you see the origins, you know, because it was the most important mining area in the early medieval time and in the high medieval time. And I would say that there are other places like in England or maybe in Spain, but for silver mining and lead, that much of the mining in Europe, Erzgebirge, was the most important place. The rush, like the gold rush, is coming from the Erzgebirge too. 12th century, they had the first rush, Geschrei. It was the first silver rush in the Erzgebirge. And then there was another one in the 15th century, because they found huge amounts of pure silver in the mountains pure metallic silver. It was no ore anymore. It was really pure, massive silver. And there came a rush afterwards because they called in all the people who wanted to work there. So the idea of a rush like the gold rush in California or the gold rush in the Klondike has its preliminaries on the European side. And there was an uranium rush too in the 30s in Canada, in the USA, and in Bohemia too. It's interesting, isn't it? Mining was the beginning of earning money in an industrial way because it was past the agricultural age. If you see the foundations of our civilization, it's the mining at the beginning. Now the question is what comes after it, you know? If you don't need all this mining anymore, you know, and, and all these metals. So what is the symbol of value? It used to be the gold and the silver because they are precious metals. But what is it today? Silicon? Maybe. When you go to the town, what does it look like? Is there several towns that are in this area? There are three major towns, I would say. It's Freiburg, it's Zwickau, and Chemnitz. And the other towns, they are much smaller. They glue in a special way to the slope of the mountains. Some look like homes for dolls. I was reminded a little bit of Switzerland, because you have these green meadows too, and you have the hills not that high as Switzerland going up to 4,000 meters or the Mont Blanc with 5,000 meters in France. It's just 1,200. But the structure of the villages and of the population is very similar to it. In summer, it's fine for trekking and traveling around and swimming in the lakes and beautiful rivers and walking in the forests. You can see wolves there, for instance. And wintertime is famous for skiing because they always have the snow, because that's cold there. It's the coldest point in a meteorological way in Germany every year. So when do you travel to this area? I was there last August with my son, because as you mentioned in the introduction, that I'm specialized in solar energy and renewable energies. And this Erzgebirge and the Bohemian side used to be one of the biggest uranium mines in the 20th century. The Erzgebirge was the first place where state tried to heal 
the ecological damages has cost a lot of money, 8 billion euros, just to make it green and to make it clean again. This reclamation of this area, was it a success? It was a success in a way. What they did is they closed all the uranium miles and they filled it with the radiating stuff from the buildings and everything like that. And they put it all into the, the mines, you know, and then they closed it to diminish the radiation on the surface and to exclude water from being polluted. This succeeded. Now it's green and you can travel there without a danger. You don't need a Geiger-Miller uh, counter or a dosimeter. You can't see anymore where the mines have been, all the buildings, if you don't know old pictures or something like that, old maps. Of course, some museums too. There's a very good museum in Schlema about uranium mining. Very interesting. When you go to these places, you realize that with every step you take, you are walking in history. Of course. And history leading up to my days, you open and read about mining of lithium in this area because uh, there are some prospects that it could be rich of lithium for, for mobiles or something like that, for batteries. So they're discussing it to open one or two new mines now. But it's leading to our days today, and it is a question how society developed, how welfare is founded in history how culture is coming from working with the mountain. And that is really a complex and very interesting experience and a kind of challenge too. I like how you present history as not in the past, but is living in our time. And we are adding our story to the ongoing story. It isn't finished yet. I was very happy to hear that both parts of the Erzgebirge on the Czech side. It's Kruzhnehori, it's the Czech name for Erzgebirge. Both parts of it are now heritage of the world, of the UNESCO. And I hope that this heritage of the UNESCO will bring people together. When UNESCO comes in, it brings us all together and says, this is a place of history that is memorable. What is memorable to you in this area? I think it's the old tradition of mining first, and that we see today that the devastation of the nature is not a state that is never-ending. We can overcome all the damage, and we can repair it in a special way. And now it's a natural, natural heritage. It's a very special mountainous area, very green and very interesting, and the valleys in it, and everything is like a kind of treasury, treasury of history, treasury of carving figures, treasury of people to meet there, because the hospitality of people is really outstanding on both sides of the border, and that you can cross the border over to the Czech side without a passport showing. So this is part of the heritage, too. It's bringing people together. Of course. This is my hope, and I'm sure that's happening. This is the sense of it. I keep on thinking what it would look like just to be there. And I see the green, and I see all of the woods around it. I see the houses. I see us going in and having hot chocolate. 
And in our modern time, we can use the information in the internet. If you want to see some pictures to get a first impression from the Erzgebirge, and then maybe you decide to go there and to hike there a little bit and wandering around. And if you go to the Czech side, then you're very close to the spas in Carlo Vivari with their uh, healing springs. And it's not far to the Golden City of Prague. So it's all connected in this area. It's very close together. It's always one hour by car or two hours. Eglin, you have been a fabulous host. History, location, culture all come together when we travel to, say it again, Erzgebirge. I think that when we travel and see a place through another person's eyes, we can accept that we are part of a larger community. And you have shown me something that is very, very special. History, our history, comes from there. I live a long way away from you. But somehow, that or mountain is connected to what we are here in Canada. Definitely. The new world was populated by the old world. So many people went there and took all their experiences with them and all the craft and all their expertise and everything is linked together in time and space. History is right here with us as we talk. We are history right now. And as we move from there, we are now going into the future and this time and this place and this conversation is now history. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Time. I think that history is change. It's pure change. And if history is the change of the world, then history itself is changing all the time. And this is why we travel. We want to tell our own history further on. We want to, to tell our story, which is part in the world. And that's why we go to some places which are interesting and which are challenging us with our own history and experiences. So and the Erzgebirge is a very good place for it. As we leave the Ore Mountains, is there any last words? With your own eyes and your own words. Go there and tell it from the Ore Mountains, Erzgebirge. That is a wonderful idea, Eglund. And see you soon again, I hope. I cannot thank you enough, Eglund, for this amazing travel adventure to the Ore Mountains. You brought history alive in this conversation and a reminder that we are part of a larger journey, a greater community. It is exciting. Thank you for joining Eglund and me at the Ore Mountains. And stay tuned for Eglund's return for another stimulating conversation. Who knows where we will be going next? Until that time, keep safe and be well. <laughs>